The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. It's a powerful clip about hope over humanity. See, the human code would be just to leave people who do things that are wrong to you alone to not help your enemies. But here we see Ernest Gordon. We finished our message last week with, with a message about Ernest Gordon, who, who one of his men gave up his life for the other people in the platoon. And what we are going to talk about today is how Jesus Christ's hope is so much bigger than the codes of this world. And we're going to look at that today. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you. I hope you feel what God is doing today through the Oak Park Project and through the music and through the prayers, that this, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a performance. This is what God is doing in our midst, and this is huge, and so we thank God for that. We also welcome, if you're listening on podcasts, and we say hi to you from Plainsfield, New Jersey. We know that the temperature in Plainsfield is 90 degrees right now or something like that, and we are sort of close to that here on the Central Coast. It's always nice here on the Central Coast. <laughs> So we're on the third week of our series called H2O, and this is a series, it's a subliminal series. So H2O is a reminder to all of you who go to this church to give up something for Lent. Maybe today's the first time you're going to do that, and then you're going to give that money to Waiting for Water on Easter. And so we're going to actually present that check on Palm Sunday, and then the next Sunday we're going to give a great big check to help build wells, to continue to do what we talked about this morning, not just here in Pastor Robles, but over in Zimbabwe and other places around the world. And so we've been looking at this amazing book from the book of Philippians, this letter uh, to the Philippian church, and Paul is writing from prison. He's writing in a very, very, very dark place. He's in, he's in the praetorium. He is being held by Nero, who literally lights up. Nero is the emperor of Rome, and he is lighting up Christians just to keep uh, people, uh, uh, just to keep the lights on at night. He would actually kill Christians and, and light them as torches at night. And so this is the dark, dark place in which Paul is writing about the year 60 AD. And yet in that dark place, Paul sees a light that comes from Jesus Christ. And, and so that's where we saw that first message a couple of weeks ago, a river of hope, that all of us who are Christ followers, I don't care where you are in your life, whether there's unemployment or economic difficulty or, or marital challenges or, or whatever is going on in your life, that you are moving irrevocably from a place of darkness to a place of light. That you are moving from a place of challenge to a place of ease, from a place of difficulty to a place of joy, and that is God's promise to you. And I don't care where you are on that journey, God is still having you on that river. And so he had that amazing text, be confident of this, that the work that God has done in you, that he began to do in you a long time ago, he will continue to do from this day forward until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we saw that, that was the first week. Then last week we had a message about pouring ourselves out, giving ourselves away so that God can fill us up. And just as Jesus poured himself out on the cross, and then on communion we say, Jesus poured out his blood for the remission of your sins. We, and we saw that in, in a baptism, the Holy Spirit pours himself out for us, that you and I also need to pour ourselves out. And maybe you've been inspired to do that, and today you're going to sign up for the Fresno Project. You're going to sign up for helping with Oak Park or Workday here at the church or whatever, and that as you pour yourself out, God will pour himself into you. I did want to share with you a piece of artwork from Tia, who is nine years old and who sat in last week's worship service, and she drew this picture as I was speaking, pour yourself out, and then she has us, I love that, and God will fill you up. So thank you, Tia, for that, and if you need to draw a picture during my message that will help you today, that is totally fine by me. We'll get some crayons next week, so. 
Well, Tia, if you're still here today, I want to say that today's message is going to be a little more complex, but stick with us, and that is going to be God's hope over our humanity. And I'll begin by saying that I've been thinking a lot about humanity lately. I've been thinking about humanness. I've been thinking about noses and fingers and toes. And I'm thinking about rib cages and minds that I've been thinking about. But all the things that make us human, and that is because Star and I have a miracle that just came into our lives, and I want to say miracle, that, that God has blessed us with a little baby that is coming into our lives. Yeah, you can applaud. So, Star, my wife, is pregnant, and uh, this is our big news. So, I think the politically correct term is that we are pregnant, but, you know, she's doing all the work, so. But anyway, this is this huge, huge thing in our lives, and if you know anything about Star and I's life, you know that we are blessed by God's miracle here, and if there's anyone here today who's just kind of wondering whether there's a God And he's a good God. I'm just here to tell you that he is a good God. And he is here. And he does continue to bring good things into people's lives. So I want you to know that. But I've also been thinking about what is this kid going to be? What is the human being? We don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. We we hope it's going to be one or the other. But (laughs) but we don't know. We we don't know if it's going to have like blonde hair, beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes like Star. Maybe it's going to have dark hair and be like one of the missing link like me. I mean, you don't know. Or... We, we don't know if it's going to be engaged and intellectual and smart and, and charming like Star, be kind of a duller knife like me. We, we, we don't know, but, but we are thinking about what it is to be hum, human. And of course, if you were go, to go down to, to Cal Poly or one of the universities and you were to study about what it is to be human, that would be a huge question, right? It would be huge because you'd have to not just go to one department, you'd have to study humanities, it's a, whole, like, it's a whole section of thought in the history of human thought is the humanities. And, and that doesn't even contain it because you'd have to go, if you really wanted to study what it is to be human, you'd have to, you'd have to go and study chemistry and anatomy and biology. And you could study sociology, how humans relate and anthropology. You're all still thinking about that baby, aren't you? All right. So am I. All right. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul thought a lot about what it is to be human too. He's actually probably the most important thinker in the Bible in terms of how we process what it is to be human. And Paul said that the great challenge and the blessing of being human is being human and yet being trapped in this thing, this body. That all of us are human. We are in our space, whatever space you are in, whatever space God has given to you, that's a blessing. And yet it's also this this huge challenge and that all of human life is really about trying to get out of, out of this thing. And so the history of human beings has been trying to transcend our humanness. And so Paul tries to help us with this by thinking about two ways that humans through the years have tried to get out of their humanness. And the first he would say maybe is being too strict or too religious or, or, too, or too dogmatic in our approach that we many times have tried to get out of our humanness by like trying to just dig right into our humanness. And, and this isn't to say that this is a bad thing. It's actually a wonderful thing to, to be super religious, to be super contained, to be risk averse, to be somewhat religiously stoical. This is wonderful, right? But that's not going to get us out of our humanness. So Paul would begin this by saying that the first way that we try to get out of this thing is to try to really dial down into our religiousness. 
The second thing he would begin to say is that, you know, the other way we try to do that is to be too free. If you're a philosopher today, you might think of this as Epicureanism and religious stoicism. So the Epicurean side, maybe you're a party or you've done a lot of -of out-of-the-box crazy things with your life. Maybe you've you've really tried to get out of your humanness by like just doing things that are just just off the charts in terms of risk and, and, and libertinism and all those things. And yet, of course, we know that doesn't get us out of our humanness either. Remember when I went to college for the first time, I sort of dug into both of these. I went to college and I was super into the strictness side. I read my Bible every single night and I went to church every single weekend and I, I went to the McAllister Christian Fellowship and I dialed, dialed, dialed into it and it was wonderful. And, and yet I, I didn't exactly feel that I was transcending out of my humanness by doing that all the time. Then I went over to Scotland and then it was like, I was like, uh, hi, I'm from America. And they're like, oh, I, you're from America. You're a really serious person, aren't you? You don't really say, you go to church all day. You've got to live a little. And I'm like, well, it's not St. Patrick's Day. Oh, it's St. Patrick's Day every day of the week here. <laughs> so unfortunately, I dug into that side. But I will tell you that neither side got me out of, out of this humanness. And so Paul would say today that, He has experimented not with this free side, but with this strict side. And he'll tell us today that there's only one way to get out of this human form, to transcend who we are. And that is to reach for Jesus Christ, to reach out of ourselves, to reach for the one who reaches for us. And so let's take a look at our text today. We're we're doing the book of Philippians, and we're doing an expository series, which means we're doing a lot of Bible and And so this is a good thing, but when we're doing expository, we're going to do everything that comes along. So there's going to be a lot of challenge in our text today. So let's think and and open our hearts for what God wants to say to us about how we can reach for Christ. Let's listen for our text. Paul says this. It's the end of his letter to the book of Philippians, and he's writing from jail. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. People are being killed left, right, and center by one of the worst emperors in the history of Rome, and that Paul is about to lose his head in one year, and he begins this by saying, finally, rejoice in the Lord. I love this. And then he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard for you. It's like the spouse who says to the other one, you know, I don't, I don't mind cleaning up the house again. I, I cleaned it this morning, but I don't mind again. No guilt here. <laughs> and then Paul launches right into it. Watch out, he says, for those dogs. Now, anytime Paul talks about dogs or the Bible talks about dogs, usually they're talking about goyim or people who are non-Jewish people. They're, they're Gentiles is another word for it. And so you and I would be these dogs, according to Paul. And of course, Paul didn't have a problem with non-Jewish people. He just didn't like people who were pretending to be super, super strict and super Jewish who really, really weren't. So he continues on here. Watch out for these, these people who are pretending to be so strict in their life and get salvation through this. Those men, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So when Paul talks about flesh here, it's double entendre. Of course, he's talking about the flesh of circumcision. And so they were, they were requiring that if you were an adult male and you were not circumcised, you didn't just have to be baptized, you had to be circumcised. It was like a tattoo for like a gang or some, some weird rite of passage. And if you didn't do that, you really weren't a Christian. And of course, men were dying and, 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 and uh, suffering from the pain of this. But then he says, but it is we who are the circumcision. Hebrew here better. Karat berit, to cut a covenant. So 
Think about that double entendre. So that's what you would say to make a covenant, karat barit. Jesus Christ cut himself on the cross, and he's saying, so we are the real covenant in Christ, not those, not those fake mutilators of the flesh. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. And again, here he's talking about humanity, who put no, neither confidence in either being too strict or too free. Neither one of us then will get us there. Though I myself, he says, have reason for such confidence. And boy, did Paul ever. If there was ever a more righteous person, in, in certainly the first century, it was Paul. He was, he was the righteous of the righteous. He was the strict of the strict. He says, he continues, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Again, flesh, he means humanness. I mean, I have dug into it, says Paul. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, that's when you really wanted to be circumcised. I mean, you wouldn't want to be circumcised, but if you had to be, you would go on the eighth day. That's when John the Baptist and Zechariah and, and Elizabeth took John the Baptist to the temple. I am of a person of Israel. I'm a real Jew, not these pretends over here. Again, he doesn't mind people, he doesn't mind people who are not Jewish, but he does mind people who are pretending to be something they're not. He says, I am of the tribe of Benjamin, this is the best tribe. Remember, Jacob was the, uh, the father of Benjamin. He was the favorite son. He's a part of the favorite tribe. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews. He spoke Hebrew in the house. He didn't speak Greek or Latin like these girly Jews down the way, says Paul. I'm a manly Jew. I spoke Hebrew, not even Aramaic like Jesus spoke. I spoke Hebrew. I was a Pharisee, says Paul. By the way, this is why Paul is persecuting Jesus, not because he hated Jesus or the Christ followers, because he was a strict, strict, strict Jew. And Jesus was breaking the laws. Or as for zeal and persecuting, I did that. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But then Paul says, but what, would, what did that do for me? I consider everything a loss. I was more righteous than anybody. I was more religious than anyone. And I was, I was, I was super, super religious. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. This is where he's invoking this word reach, reaching for Christ. And to be found in him, not righteousness that comes from my own law, but what comes from the faith. And so we might write the word faith right next to reach here. That's really what it means to reach. It means to have faith, reaching in Christ. I ought to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. I want to be a part of this Christ in every which way. And so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. See, he is transcending his, his humanness through connection with Christ. And then I, I love this. He finishes by this. Not that I've already done this. I've not already obtained this or have been made perfect, but I press on, I reach to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. There's this double beautiful image of Paul reaching and God reaching back. And if you can't hear that today, you, you can't hear the most hopeful thing we have to offer. As you reach for God, God reaches back for you. You don't even need to reach that far. You might just sit on the edge of your seat today. That will be your reach, and God will reach right into your life. And so he says, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of you, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is headed, this is the image of a runner. I reach, I press forward to the goal to win the prize for that God has given me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In some sense, that is all that we have in this life, and yet that is enough to reach for Christ and Christ reaches for us. That's how we get out of our humanness. That's how we transcend this world. And the promise is the same for you as it was for Paul. 
It's the most hopeful thing we can think of. Well, it's a lot to think about, and so we, we commit that to you and, and, and have you pray about that. But to lighten it up a little bit, I, I, I want you to know that people have been asking me about my new book, which sounds quite pretentious to say, but it's called A 100 Years of Ministry. And this is a, this is a book that, you know, I never thought I would write, but it's really a, it was a, a story of the four generations of ministers in my life. I'm a Presbyterian pastor. My father's a Presbyterian pastor. My grandpa's a Presbyterian pastor. My great-grandpa's a Presbyterian pastor. It's like a genetic disease in my family. We, we somehow got it. But I will tell you, so the book is not out yet, but that's what the book's about. But I, uh, I was down at a conference not too long ago, and people were asking, well, how are things going there at Highlands Church up there? Someone said, I noticed that it's not Highlands Presbyterian Church. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's because it's Highlands Church. Yeah, I said, they said, well, yeah, it's really kind of too bad that you're not Presbyterian and stuff anymore. I mean, like we are Presbyterian. I mean, we at our church have dug way deep into our Presbyterianism. So it's really too bad, they said, that you are no longer a part of the code, this religious system that we come from. And I then said to them, huh, not Presbyterian, huh? All right, what would make me more Presbyterian? Putting on a robe here? How's this? Is this Presbyterian enough for you? Or maybe I'll put on my grandpa's stole here. How's this, huh? little bit of stole on top of that or or maybe this is more presbyterian to put on another soul two souls with a robe and maybe oh maybe this is even more presbyterian let's put a hood on top of it like this okay am i presbyterian now i'm really scaring you right now aren't i don't give me that about not being presbyterian my family's saying the doxology in mcdonald's I mean, a lot of people pray in McDonald's. My family sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Oh, no. Don't give me that. I mean, a lot of people inherit trust funds. I inherit a pulpit robe collection. <laughs> I got Presbyterianism. New, new, new. But what I count as a prophet, I count as a loss compared to Christ. And it wasn't until 3 a.m. in the morning in Minnesota. It was a cold January morning, and it was, it was a time in my life when I will tell you one thing that book didn't say. I felt burdened as well as blessed by that family legacy. This burden of expectation, this burden of, of what I was supposed to be. And I remember being on my knees at the end of this bed and putting my nose into this like Norwegian comforter that was at the very foot of my bed, and I, and I I reached up like this. I did. I said, Lord, I need more than this. And I will tell you that God reached back into my life. And he's been doing that ever since. And as I did that, I felt, I felt the years of expectation begin to fall away like old scales. And I still wear a robe every now and then. And that's a good thing. But my real prize is in Jesus Christ. And I know I'm not the only person here who has expectations on them. I know you have friends who expect of you certain things. I know you have spouses who expect things. And I know who expects more out of you than anyone else. It's you, right? You have the burden of expectation in your life. You have the burden of humanness. And what I think God and Paul want to say to you today is to reach. 
beyond that thing, to reach out of that thing and feel God's hand reaching into your life. So over the little time that we have left, I just want to raise up some things that might help you do that. First is this, you, real, you and I really do need to be aware of our humanness. We need to be aware of this. We need to be in touch with this body, this, this thing God has given us. So there's this Catholic priest in Ireland, and there's this young man who comes in for confession, and the young man comes in and says, Father, I've got something to confess that's really been on my heart for a long time. And the father says, oh, I, that's what I'm here for. Tell me, what is it that's on your heart? Oh, said the young man, I've been, I've been guilty of the sin of vanity. Oh, said the father, that's terrible. Tell me about it. Well, said the young man, every morning I wake up and I look in the mirror and I say, look at that amazingly beautiful person. Look at how handsome I am. And oh, said the father, that's not good. Well, let me take a look at you. So the two of them leave the confessional booth and the father looks this little young boy in the face and says, well, son, I want you to know something, that you are not suffering from the sin of vanity. In your case, it's just a mistake. (laughs) All right. Hard to find St. Patrick's Day jokes. So don't go home in, in the attempt to get in touch with your humanity and look in the mirror. Don't do that. But what I do want to encourage you to do is to think about what it is, this space that you occupy in your life. And God has given you a unique way that you have done that. There are a lot of ways to kind of sort of become aware or in touch with this space, this flesh, this body God has given you. One of them is these new tests called the Myers-Briggs tests. You might have heard of them. They're personality exams, and they identify 16 different personality types for everybody. And and so everybody has like an INFTGA or ENFTJ number. And if you would like to be part of this, we'd, we can help you with this Myers-Briggs test. Just to give you an idea. So the first one is either you're an extrovert or an introvert, right? So if you're an extrovert, it means that you get energy from, energy from people outside. And if you're an introvert, you get energy from inside. Uh, this is new to me, so just so you know. First time anyone asked me about this, they said, well, what are you, an ENFTJ or whatever? And I said, well, I think I'm a TCBY. I said... <laughs> They're like, you can't be that. That's like yogurt, okay? But so there are a lot of ways to get in touch with your humanness. Um, but one thing I would say is that no test can really help you figure out. No test, no science test, no chemistry test, no psychological test can really help you get in touch with your whole humanity. They, uh, they've been studying this people who are Native American who live in Peru for a long time, the Nazi And they've been studying the way that they've built these rock walls, and they've been so fascinated by where these walls go and where they turn and where they they end up. And it wasn't until 1930 that a professor was flying a plane over these rock walls, and he saw that they aren't just little walls that go nowhere down on the ground, that they are these huge, beautiful pictures that you can see from the sky. And scientists are still trying to figure out why and how and what, what for for these pictures. But you and I are the same kinds of thing. We, we are these intricate things that we can only really begin to understand as we, as we look at ourselves through God's eyes. And so that's how important it is that we, we really see ourselves as complete beings, as complete human beings in God. So that's the first thing. We need to be in touch. We need to be aware with who we are as humans. But the second thing and the most important thing is that we reach beyond that. Because as Paul would say, this is not who we are. 
The biggest lie of our world today is that our life is composed by this, humanness. It's a lie. Paul would say we only explore and begin to be in touch with our humanness when we reach out of our humanness for Christ. It's only people who dig into this thing that actually lose their humanness. One of my favorite movies in the history of movie is Chariots of Fire on the St. Patrick's Day weekend. It's a Scottish-English movie, and remember it was 1980 about running. And uh, there were two runners in this movie. I don't know if you remember. There was Eric Little who ran like he was throwing himself down, down the track. He literally reached with everything that he had. And then there was this runner called Harold Abrams who happened to come from a, a Jewish theological tradition, and everything in his life was precise. He studied everything. He studied every movement, every turn, but he would lose again and again and again to Eric Little. And so one day, as he lost to Eric Little, he's standing in the park where he'd just run, and there's a coach just down the way here named Sam Musabini. He said, Harold, I can help you win that race. Harold said, I don't know how you could do that. I've given everything I can. I can't run any faster. And Sam Musabini said, don't run any faster. Have you ever noticed, he said, that right before you finish your finish line, you turn to the side and you look at who's with you. Eric Little reaches into the tape. You need to reach into the tape. It's only then that you can win the race. I don't care how constructed or strict your pattern of, of running is. It's only in the reach that we win. And Paul would say the same. I had a woman come in to me for a um, conversation. It wasn't full counseling a few years ago, but she wanted to talk to me about what was going on in her life. And so she, she sat down on the couch across from me and she told me that she'd been unemployed and she was marital struggles and all kinds of things. And I said, well, let's pray about it and talk about it. And so we prayed about it and I said, now tell me about your life. And out of this bag that was next to her, she pulled out 20 journals that she'd been writing in through the years. 20 of them. And uh, so I said, well, tell me about you. And then she opened up this page and she read this page and this page and this page and this page. And she said, you know, I just feel like I'm being pulled down into my life the more that I write about my life. I'm like, yeah. Here's my advice for you. Stop journaling. Now, there's nothing wrong with journaling, especially if you're not in touch with your humanity. But there comes a point when you need to reach out of your journaling. It's not that you're reaching sideways in your life. You're reaching out of your life. And God reaches back in. And that's the last thing I want to share with you today. That God reaches for us as we reach for God. And this is the most hopeful thing I can think about. And this is literally what the definition of grace is in Christianity. And so this book has often been called the book of grace because the word for joy and the word for grace are the same, chorus. Chorus, 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 chorus. It's a great way to clear your throat. And it's a better way to live your life. It's hope. It's reach for God, God reaches for you. So my second favorite movie is Slumdog Millionaire. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but it's an amazing movie about these little boys who grow up in a Mumbai and a Bombay uh, slum and they are raised uh, in complete abject poverty, and they're basically sold into slavery. And so it's the story of these little boys who are raised in this dark, 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 dark world. And so as they are about to escape that world, they run away from these people who have enslaved them, 
And they run and they run and they run, but running isn't enough. They run and they run, and so they see a train, and so they run up to this train, and one boy actually gets on the train. And then the train picks up faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And so this little boy, for whom the story is about, runs and he jumps, and he's in midair, his hand out. If he falls, he dies. If he runs and leaps, he might be caught. His friend reaches out from the train, grabs his arm, and pulls him into the train. And from that moment, he begins this new journey in his life. Maybe that's your journey today, that you have been strictly studying this thing called life, whether you're stuck in some pattern of life, a burden upon yourself. And God wants to say, if you will reach for him today, he will reach out and grab you and pull you in. And that's when the journey begins. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your goodness. And I thank you, Lord, that on the cross, even as you were dying, you reached down from that cross as you were pouring yourself out for us. You reached down for us. And we pray that you would be in our hearts, in our lives. And I pray that you would give anyone here today the courage to reach for you. And Lord, we know that a lot of us have reached for things in this life that have, have disappointed us and left us vacant. I ask, Father, that you, and I know that you won't leave us vacant, that you will reach for us. And I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name and all the people said. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at Highlands.